0: Leadership beyond a definition. The boundless potential to engage, to encourage, uplift, and guide. Conversations about growth. Leadership Unscripted with Dr. Virginia Hardy. Hello, and welcome to Leadership Unscripted, Navigating Your Leadership Journey podcast. I am your host, Virginia Hardy, and this is episode one Evolving as a Leader. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Dr. Marilyn Shearer, who recently stepped down as Provost and Vice Chancellor of Academic Affairs for the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. She has more than 25 years of experience in higher education administration, having spent seven years at our very own East Carolina University, where she led the creation of the university's Honors College and expanded distance education, among many other impressive achievements too numerous to name. We'll be discussing Dr. Shear's evolution as a leader, among many other topics, as she provides guidance to our audience as they navigate their own leadership journey. Thank you, Dr. Shear, for agreeing to be my first guest. You, um, this is exciting. You're the inaugural guest, yay. <laughs> my pleasure. I am so grateful uh, to have you here to um, to tell your story because I think it is one that is inspiring and motivational for those who either are beginning their leadership journey or want to enhance their leadership um, competencies, you and I know each other very well and <laughs> had a lot of fun together. I, <laughs> that we that some we can talk about some we probably can, huh? Um, I've witnessed uh, and and observed you as a leader for many years and and some of the many great things you've done here at ECU and in our community here in Greenville, Pig County, but also what you've done um, in other areas and and really excited to hear um, from you right now today. So let's get comfortable and just have a candid conversation here. And let me start with simply saying, uh, tell us something fun about you because many people know you, but tell us something fun about yourself that most wouldn't um, wouldn't know.
1: <laughs> All right, something fun. what I find that my students now find the funniest is that um, the man to whom I am currently married, people always say, you look like you've been together for 30 years. Well, we've only been together four. And when I tell them, hey, this is number three, and I thought I was done with men, but here he came, and I was over 70. They think that's really funny. <laughs> here I am in a third marriage, and my children say the same. Here comes number three. I say, can't you say it a little better? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the two of you, I talk
0: often about the two of you. And when I first met you, we were in, um, well, not you, but met him. We were in um, Chapel Hill at a Bridges meeting, and uh, you guys were talking about how you do plank challenges. And I think, you're, you're doing plank? I struggle with a you two are talking about challenges on the plate. <laughs> there are. It's wonderful, though, but that to still have that kind of energy. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it is. All right. So let's let's get started, my friend. Um, so as I previously, previously mentioned, you have accomplished a great deal in your years as a higher education administration. What do you think is the secret sauce in your own leadership um, development and your own principles that was a contributing factor to your success?
1: Oh boy, okay. Um, I suppose there are several things. Uh, f- first of all, and I think um, this might be part of your questioning process today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think over time, I've been in leadership positions for so long now. Uh, over time, through reflection and experience, you kind of change You know what you thought was ultimately important. When I think back to my first position, I guess I thought the leader did represent a kind of power I don't think that so much anymore. And I think secret sauce to me is first of all, absolutely being present, being present as a leader, Um, not just sitting in an office and uh, talking to people at a distance, not being very present at at occasions. And I think being present is really important in all kinds of leadership roles, no matter what level. Um, The other thing that I've learned, I think over time is that in decision-making, you need to take your time and and really reflect. I'm a kind of, um, oh, I don't know, impetuous person in some ways. I like to be active. I like to make decisions quickly. And over time I learned, whoa, you better wait a little bit, make sure that you've heard everyone. Um, And that goes into listening, Um, asking questions and listening. Because if you believe the first person that tells you the story, or the situation that is presented to you, you're probably in trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you're young and you're anxious to show, hey, I'm a leader, I can do this. uh, Sometimes I think I was too fast to make decisions. And I learned over time to think carefully, listen to the people and say things like, I'll need to consider that for a few days and I will get back to you. And for me, my personality, didn't quite fit that statement, but i learned to do it a lot better. So I don't know if that's a secret sauce, but those are sort of principles over time that I think I discovered.
0: Thank you. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I tell folks often that um, you know it's rare that um, that a decision needs to be made immediately. There are times, but it's rare oh, it is. <laughs> with that opportunity, as you said, to then you know talk to various people to get input on before a final decision is made. Right. So, uh, so let's talk a bit more still about some characteristics. Then, let's keep that going for a minute. Um, um, what are some characteristics that you that you have seen that um that worked well in general? You named a few of those, right? Being present, uh, take time to to think and reflect, and of course, to listen. What have been some, some things that have that haven't worked well that you've witnessed? Because I know you haven't done any of those things.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Well, here's a sort of contradiction in me. I really believe in being direct um, in, in most situations. Uh, oh, well, let's take a situation like evaluating somebody. I think that so often we skirt those issues. We try to be nice or not be so harsh. Um, and we can, we can be direct in ways that are not offensive. Um, but I think uh, being direct is very, very helpful. At the same time, there were certain things over time that I recognized were sort of my buttons, like people could push my buttons. And one of those was arrogance. When I sensed that someone was arrogant and acted (laughs) like they knew everything, it just pushed my buttons. And sometimes my voice would change in tone, sometimes sound angry for sure. And in those cases where I didn't um, stay kind of focused and even keeled, I sometimes lost in that conversation. It it just uh, over time, it was the other thing that I learned that um, I needed to continue to value directness and honesty and um, transparency, I guess you would say. But at the same time, um, losing your cool doesn't usually get you very far. People remember when you lose your cool,
0: for sure. Uh, So, so Meryl, in that kind of a situation, though, what did you do afterwards? I mean, once so you let's say you lost your cool with someone um, because they exhibited arrogance or whatever the case may be. How did you, from as
1: a leader, how did you reconcile that? Uh, that's such a good question because that requires like stepping back and being a little humble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I can be humble, but uh, when you're <laughs> in these leadership jobs a long time, you have to think about that. So. And when the occasion, when it occurred, uh, and when I think back to several instances, um, I don't think that it necessarily ended well right there, right in that minute. But I usually always ask to see the person later, mm-hmm. and I was able to say things to people like, "Listen, the other day we had this conversation, and I kind of lost it because uh, you triggered something in me." Da 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 da. And I'm, I apologize for that. I'd like to return to that conversation and try to work through this better. Um, that took a lot on my part to do. I, I'm not going to tell you that that was always easy for me to do. Mm-hmm. Because, again, if arrogance was what triggered that in me, <laughs> often the person you were saying that to <laughs> uh-huh. remained arrogant. <laughs> so, like. Come on. (laughs) But I, you know, I I learned that that was the better way.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and and accounting for those, you know, those two situations. And I think accounting, accounting and apologizing are two different things, in my opinion. Yes. Right. But accounting for it, which is what you just described, can go a long way. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I, but your point about staying, you know, being direct but not losing your cool. My uh, my late husband would always tell me to stay com- to stay composed and stay calm in certain situations. And I, I do remember vividly one day going back home and saying, I was composed, but I don't know necessarily I was calm, but I was composed in what
1: I said. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I think our late husbands must have been similar because my late husband, the second marriage. Uh, when I described a situation where I told someone off one time when I was a department chair, he said, Hmm, Marilyn, you know, that could come back to haunt you. And I said, why he deserved everything I said. And he said, well, we'll see. And <laughs> later, of course, that young man said, well, oh, she loses her cool. You don't know what she's like. She can be a real banshee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, those men were right. <laughs> yeah, every
0: so often they are right. right. They really were Yes, indeed.
1: <laughs> so, um,
0: so working in leadership roles, and, and, and you've had several different um, different levels of leadership, um, to, takes a level of comp- being comfortable with um, with yourself, with others, with with the unknown, et cetera. Um, how have you continued to um, to get to know yourself, right, to that own self be true as you have changed the various leadership roles and had to change who the how you um, navigate with the different people coming in and out of situations.
1: Wow, that's a really good question. (laughs) Um, I think part of it is um, I usually find, I'll think of my current situation where I was the provost here for five years. Mm -hmm. And um, I had several, not a lot, but I had several kind of confidants who were on the cabinet with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, when something would happen, especially when I was new, I would go to the one individual in particular, and I would say, um, you heard what I asked in that meeting, uh, was that appropriate? Or did you think I hopped out there too fast? Because that would be my tendency to hop into the thing faster than perhaps I should sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And she would be really pretty straight with me because she had been here at UNCW a long time. And she might say something like, well, Marilyn, you know, I've learned blah, blah, blah. And more often than not, um, the lesson was, wait a little bit longer, especially when you're new. When you come into a brand new situation, listen, observe, see if there are contradictions in what you're hearing or seeing, because sometimes there are. Mm -hmm. Someone tells you one thing and then you see something else happening. So you get wiser over time with the uh, experiences that you're having, I think. But it it would certainly, it behooved me always then to reflect on them. What did she just say to me and what did that mean? Uh, there were times actually when I would want to say something much more quickly and I would think, no, you know, it, maybe the timing isn't quite right. Cause I can be very verbal and pretty strong willed in my statements right. um, and sometimes it just wasn't okay. So I think, how did I, how have I continued to grow? First of all, by tr- being willing to try different positions, you're aware that when I was at ECU, um, Chancellor Ballard gave me the chance to be in a couple different roles. Mm-hmm. And at first I would think, oh, my God, I'm not ready for that role. Yes. But when I went into the role and I observed for a good while, asked a lot of questions of the people with whom I was working and took my time, um, I learned. I learned about that particular part of the university and how to negotiate and how to strategically move around, because politically, it's always a little different. And we don't know exactly who the players are. So I think um, I've had opportunities to try different roles. Like when I came down to Wilmington, and I had the opportunity to be the provost here, it was brand new. And I didn't know the players or how things worked. And it worked differently here than at ECU. It's all higher ed, but there are still variables that change that are that are very different so i think um learning to listen observe and reflect and think marilyn what does that mean don't do that the next time for god's sake yeah
0: (laughs) yeah and the culture changed so you have to learn the culture and Uh, what works (laughs) yes amen So you brought up a word though that uh, that sparked me here, and that is, uh, you know, the politics, and um, they're, they're, the politics are everywhere. Uh, and and um, I remember several situations here at ECU in watching you um, truly maneuver those things and, and come to good results. Um, how, how do you do? That's it's it's it's, it's a skill, and, and you have to develop that skill over a long long time, and lots of bumps and bruises along the way, I'm sure. But can you talk about um, your initial um, leadership and how you navigated politics and how you're doing it today or in your right. past?
1: Well, first of all, l- let me just acknowledge that when I first went into a solid leadership position and I don't even know what year that was now, 90, 90, um, it was a chair of a department. Mm-hmm. And When I think back, I was naive. I was just naive. I mean, I I thought there were certain things I could make happen and all these things would occur. And then then I began to understand the politics Uh, that that particular institution where I work had a president who was, um, quite frankly, very much a control freak. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there were all kinds of things happening that I thought I was in. I was in control of. I wasn't. (laughs) And so I had to understand that I had to understand what's going on here. Now, what I chose to do because I was in an area that this particular president um, valued highly, I asked if I could talk to him and understand where he was coming from. That didn't necessarily mean at all that I agreed with the way he did things. Mm-hmm. But because I listened to him, um, it was easier later to go to him with a um, maybe a complaint or a, another question of you know, why something was happening. And I think that's the, one of the keys. I had a department chair uh, when I was the dean at ECU, I had a department chair who was so excellent at what I'm talking about. He would go come in early in the morning and he would go around and talk to the people in their offices, not about problems, just about their lives. You know, what's going on? You know, that it's real Southern in many ways. Yes. But then when a problem came up um, and and many of them weren't political, you know, different stances on things, right, left, conservative, liberal, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, he could go to that person with much more ease and begin a conversation about the problem because he had established at least some communication channel that at, at least in some way was respectful. And so I think I had, there were people East Carolina and people in the community, people on the board of trustees, people who pulled a lot of strings in athletics. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't realize that at first, but I learned that that's what was happening and tried to get to know the people, know them and say to myself, just because someone's political leaning is this way does not mean, Marilyn, that you can't listen to what they're saying and try to understand. And let me say again, it didn't mean that I came over to their side. Right. Or well, vice <laughs> versa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, you know, it, it. I think it's an, an ongoing um, challenge in communication. One of the saddest things I see happening, and I'm sure you see it too, is the... Um, Communication part is so lagging today in terms of the polarization. Mm-hmm. You know, people seem to take one side or another, and where what happened to the middle, yeah. where we came together and discuss? I mean, that's it's really important. I think that we try to get that back, where people can be respectful and and sane. <laughs> so I, the politics of things are can be very difficult for sure.
0: Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. I mean, the civil discourse is um is uh, a lost art it seems. Yeah, we don't people don't have to we don't have to agree with everything, but let's be able to talk about it at least in a civil manner. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I ten, I I would agree with you. So we're going to stay on this higher ed kick for just a little bit longer. Um okay. I mean, higher is is changed. Even before COVID, it was changing a great deal and COVID has just Taken higher education into a, t- a tailspin, um, and it's taken a beating over the last few years. Some, you know, from mistrust, distrust in public higher education, and um, um, the way of doing business will not con- will have to change. I think uh, current leaders uh, and our next generation of leaders will need to be able to adapt quickly. And, uh, and effectively to be able to, you know, do what we what we all hate to say it now, but to pivot when the time comes. So what's your take on higher education as, as you see it today? And as you look in your crystal ball and see what's coming down the pike, what's your take on higher education in itself and what will leadership need to
1: be able to do to get right. it moving? Oh, that's such an important question. Um, in both courses that I taught last year, um, and again, when I go into the fall and I have my courses kind of outlined, I spend a good bit of time on what I call adaptive leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all kinds of models, as you know, out there, transformational, adaptive, sensational. Yes. <laughs> um, but the adaptation is so important right now. Mm-hmm. And who knows for sure? For example, um, residences on campuses. Right. Um, I mean, I, It just seems to me that given the cost of college for many families, given the fact that people are more and more accustomed to accessing information and communication through um, computers in their home. I watch my son right now who's been working at home all year, just like many of us have, but he wants to stay there. He wants to continue working in the publishing business from his home. Um, More and more people, and whether that's a good, an absolute good or not is is not what I'm raising. It's saying that people's preferences have changed. College students over time, I think, may begin questioning, do I want to spend this much money on living in a residence hall or buying this meal plan? If I can, let's say, for example, if I can go to a community college and live at home and then transfer. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that happens now. We know that happens all over the place. But aren't the trends perhaps going to go in that direction? And what does that mean for leadership? Leadership has to be sitting down there. They almost have to become futurists. Mm -hmm. You know, like where we say to ourselves, well, what do we have to do now to prepare for this? Um, We maybe shouldn't build this, whatever it is. or, Or, you know, maybe we need to put a lot more money into Technology Uh, and everything, yeah, amen. I mean, people always say, We just put all that money in technology last year. Well, hey, guess what? (laughs) It's already old, yeah, it's already old. I know. My husband says, Should we get new phones? I say, Yes, because if we don't get our new phones, (laughs) we'll be behind. (laughs) So, um, I think um, higher ed needs to ask hard questions and they need to ask it not just internally, they have to go outside and say to people outside who are in the business world or in the community, you know, what is it you're looking to us for? And we've done that again too, but it's even more important now because we're just absolutely not certain what people are going to be looking for and what changes we have to make in order to get that to happen.
0: And, you know, and while we knew this could be done because there are many, um, uh, For-profit schools that are doing this, you know, having everything online, COVID taught us that we, as public in public education, can make it work. Yeah, right. Which is um, so. As you think about that, though, do you think the brick-and-mortar public education, or not even just public, or even private, but the uh, brick-and-mortar higher education, is uh,
1: uh, is here to stay? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that is huge too. I, one, I'm teaching this course called the academic profession, <laughs> which is, you know, it, it, for, to doctoral students. And so we're looking at all of higher ed and all the different areas of higher ed. And one of the chapters I noticed in the book that I just uh, was reviewing was there are leaders, especially the top leaders, who are extremely committed to the physical, you know, to mm-hmm. the actual physical plant. Beautiful buildings, beautiful flowers, beautiful trees, water, fountains, da 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 da. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We love it. We love walking in, and uh, there are a lot of improvements down here that people say, Oh my God, this campus is beautiful. And they do that at ECU too. You know that. Yes. Your, your honors building, beautiful. Everything's beautiful. Um, but I don't know if over time we may be saying, How can we repurpose these buildings? if we don't have enough students at, of any age group, uh, graduate students, forget it. I mean, I don't see many graduate students, you know, wanting to spend a lot of time. I remember when I was at Syracuse, we had graduate student housing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't build graduate student housing today. That's you know? correct. So it would be a good example of, you know, what do we need to build and and what don't we need to build? And could we repurpose some of our buildings in terms of, Community problems. Right. Oh boy! Yeah. You know? yeah, I think so. <laughs> During a hurricane, for example, you know, the question became: Are we going to take some of our athletic buildings and set them up so that people can stay in them? And there was reluctance, a lot of resistance to that. Oh wow! Um, but over time, that may be one of the things that needs to be done in a more general way.
0: Well, I I, I would agree with you, right? That that creativity is going to need to come into play from. Because of necessity, but also because of, of financial needs as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I uh, there was a a small institution that I was talking to that um, small private school, and um, they had some buildings that um, and some land that were not being used, and they were asking about how to do. As you know, your community, the community said they wanted it, and that they had they had need for it rent it to them, lease it to them, or sell it to them or whatever, but figure out partnerships with the community to use it. Right? It's a win-win, the community gets what they need, the university gets
1: some some money in the process. Exactly right. And I I think that word partnerships Mm -hmm. is gonna have to be over and over underscored. Um, We've worked, ECU and Wilmington, they both work closely with community colleges. I think you're gonna find even more work to be done there. Yeah. So that together we decide where things go because they, um, you know, just transferring people in isn't everything that we're about. We're going to have to think about how we really work together to make make things happen. I completely agree. And how do we help tackle
0: some of the the, the big issues with our ah, communities? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Great. So, um, so you mentioned that you're you're teaching again, and so uh, you've gone back to your love. You love teaching here. Uh, and you're online for the most part, correct? <laughs> I'm totally online for the most <laughs> part.
1: Yeah, After that transition. Yeah, well, let me tell you, first of all, uh-huh. why that is. I'm teaching just doctoral students. So I have a new group of doctoral students. And then I have an old group, 16 of them, who are have been in the program for a year or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all work. You know, they're out there in jobs. Mm -hmm. They don't want to drive to campus. Right. Um, I have office hours on campus so that if somebody actually physically wants to see me, and a few do, Mm -hmm. some of them want to sit down and look at me across a table. Right. But most of even my what I would call advisement occurs online. You know, they ask to do a Zoom call with me and we talk about an assignment or, mm-hmm. or their career. There are a lot of questions that these people have about career changes and so on. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think there's reason for, at the graduate level, for these things to be online. Now, when I came into this, um, I had a blended class where I had some people sitting in it. This was before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some sitting in the face-to-face with me and then I had some online. That was a good way for me to start. Right. Um, but then I had to quickly move to online. Well, I mean, to tell you what, my husband would tell you he heard gnashing of teeth in this house. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn Canvas yep. and then the Zoom stuff and the breakout rooms and all the things. And I'm just not intuitively technologically astute. I'm just not. Right. Um, you know, I, I've had wonderful support here. I can call my tech people and they can, but they talk fast and they move that little cursor around. And I think, wait a minute, go, go back a minute. I'm old. <laughs> <You know>? Understood. <laughs> I'm <with you. laughs> oh my goodness. So the um, the truth is I love teaching. I I I don't regret that I I was I really had, had um, enough experience as an administrator, and I think to return to where I started was quite appropriate. I'm so glad I made the decision. Well, I think at least my mind is still good. <laughs> I, t- I tell people to warn me <laughs> <laughs> if my mind begins to go and I'm not yes. aware of it. Yes. <laughs> I really like the teaching. Once I get the canvas and all that stuff set up, then I then I can relax and I'm okay. Then I just have to prepare for my class each Week or whatever, twice a week, but um, it was it was a challenge for me. Again, not the specific teaching, although I will say this to you too: It had been so many years since I had taught mm-hmm. that I had to look at what all the texts were that that my colleagues were using. I certainly didn't want to change them right, right away when I walked in. Uh-huh. Um, so I and but I had to catch up on that. I had to actually read <laughs> <laughs> what's the class using? You know, do I want to do the same? So it's been a learning curve. But I, I guess in terms of aging, I'll just say this, that um, it, it causes, or the results of that are that you are stimulated to learn more and more and more and you know?
0: I think that's the piece, right? It, it keeps you active and keep, you know, intellectually active, mentally yeah. active. So uh, it's a positive thing. Great. Yes. So you and I have had several conversations and, you know, I've looked up to you as a mentor and as a coach and all those beautiful things. And I thank you for all of that. Uh, and we've had lots of conversations related to um, the role that gender plays in, in, in being a leader and in, in decision making and things, how things get done. Um, talk to us a little talk to us a little bit about. Um, how your gender identity or any other form of your any other piece of your identity has actually impacted you in some
1: of your experiences. Mm, okay yeah that, that that's kind of long and drawn out uh, but I, I I will attempt to shorten it here. Um, so I was the first born of four children. Mm-hmm. So there were two girls and then two boys and a very traditional family in Pennsylvania and an extended family where the women served the men at the meal, when we, when the whole Shearer family got together, the women served the men the food uh-huh. and then they ate later. Oh my God, when I think back to that, <laughs> I about die. But I was part, I mean, I watched it, right. I watched it. And when my father kind of gently, when I, when I was in high school and I did well and so on, uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to college. And he said, well, if anybody goes to college, we didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anybody goes to college, it should be the boys. I said, like, like, heck, I mean, I'm going to college. And so I worked in the summers and I, you know, whatever. And I that's so that's how I kind of did that. Right. Even now, when I go back, I went back the other summer to a sheer reunion, um, they see me as like radical. Like <laughs> This radical woman that you we go <laughs> <laughs> Right. So uh and I take them on, you know. they were there were some people, some of my relatives who have different political views than I have. Yeah. And of course I took them on and they're like, oh, here she comes again. <laughs> but I, I tell you that because that situation, and I will have to add that the the firstborn in a family, I think. Is more likely, not always, but more likely to take a stronger leadership role, mm-hmm. and uh, I did so with my siblings. And uh, my father, unfortunately, was an alcoholic, and I I took him on. I was always the one to mm-hmm. to try to get him to come around and not treat my mother so badly and that kind of thing. And it, uh, my late husband was a therapist, and he said to me, you know, that situation empowered you, Marilyn. It empowered you. Uh, you were able to speak and express yourself. And and that's really true. So each situation I went into, although I was intimidated at times by certain things that I did, I remember when I went to graduate school at Syracuse, I thought, oh, my gosh, these people are coming from all over the country. And I came from this little teacher's college in Pennsylvania. Am I going to be able to, you know, do it? That kind of thing. Right. But, you know, I had the confidence, I guess, yep. uh, to try. And that's followed come, come with me along the way. Um, and I think the, uh, when it comes to, when you're in a leadership position as a female and you and I have talked about this, mm-hmm. um, I, I do think it's somewhat challenging at times to have your voice heard at the table. Yes. The table where decisions are made. I mean, the men, uh, take over quickly. I'm generalizing. Of course, there are men who don't, but, um, they're quick to express themselves. So women have to be willing to, you know, lean in at the table and say what they feel about that particular issue. Sometimes when we do that, though, and that occurred to me at ECU with one of my male colleagues, he saw me as way, way too aggressive, you know, way too outspoken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, of course, I didn't think it was fair. Yes, Exactly <laughs> and, right. Yeah. So I went and, and talked with him about it. And I said, I, I feel as if you, I don't know, you have problems with me. And he admitted it. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I, I do think women have to decide. And I'm, I'm um, involved with a leadership group here with women. And uh, this one faculty member in nursing said to me, you know, Marilyn, I grew up here in the South And the men in my family just made the decisions. And even though I went to college and I have a master's degree, and now I have a doctorate in nursing leadership or something, she said, I'm still reluctant when I go back to my family. I don't speak up as fast as others. So we've spent time talking about how you do that. How do you change that role? It's almost like you don't know your voice at first. Yeah. You know, if you haven't done it, if you're a meek, mild family member, and they're not used to it. See, they were used to it with me, and they thought I was <laughs> a radical. <laughs> uh, but I think, um, you know, gender does play a role. Mm-hmm. It does. Yes. Uh, and I think we're still working on that. It, it, it may be better than it was when I was younger, um, but I think there's there are still <laughs> issues around it. So let's let's talk
0: a bit though. Let's keep that going for a second. And then I want to circle back with something else you've said. But what what should what should what advice would you give to women now? What are you giving to the your women leadership group there? What what should women be doing um as they are you know plotting and planning their next career move?
1: Right. Well first of all, I think they have to kind of analyze Well, I'll give you a situation, the person I'm mentoring right now. Mm -hmm. um, She's in a particular um, position in one of the, uh, it's a staff position in one of the offices here on campus. And she's been in the position for like 11 years. And um, so she wanted to know if I would mentor her. So we sat down and talked. And of course, I had a lot of questions for her. Mm -hmm. And I I found several things. Um, She had not gone to not not even just her immediate superior, but perhaps the head of the unit. And I encouraged her to do that, to go to the head of the unit and talk about, I'm interested in what opportunities there might be for me. Now, men will do that immediately. Immediately. Yes. And often. <laughs> and often, amen. <laughs> uh, but she had not done that. She had not taken that step to say, are there opportunities? The other thing that she acknowledged to me was, she was afraid to move, um, meaning that she had been here 11 years and things were okay. Mm-hmm. And she could apply for some other things, but she wasn't sure because she had been in this job. So I said, well, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have to start thinking and looking about what what do you want? Do you want to stay in this job another 10 years? Um, and so we had to talk a little bit about Um, how do we build confidence? We build confidence by making contacts, talking about our needs, asking people, what do I need to do to improve myself? Um, She had told me that her immediate superior kept saying, you're doing fine, you're doing fine, but nothing very specific. Oh my, you and I both know how often that occurs. Yes, ma'am. Everybody's above the norm, but nobody tells you why you're in, why you aren't above that, right? Yep. (laughs) What might you be doing that we haven't invited you to do something else? And I said, do you know, uh, what has kept you from maybe moving into the next step? No, no. She said, Mm -hmm. I said, okay, well, we need to find that out. And, you know, maybe the first step then is talking to your immediate supervisor, because they do performance reviews here. Right. So hopefully you would hope Uh that it would be an honest one. Um, so that's that sort of thing, you know, in terms of a career, uh, being willing trying to to gain the confidence to ask someone to mentor you to ask someone to talk with you to and that's hard how do you do that i've had people uh, tiptoe around me with a little email that says i know you're terribly busy but i would there, is there any possible 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 chance that i could <laughs> talk to you about you know yeah. move and i appreciate i mean why it's just it's like you know people in position will, Things that are, I think are, are they accessible or not? Right. You know. So we need we in leadership need to give people permission. Yes. I think to access us sometimes, particularly women. I agree with you.
0: Yeah. know so I uh, I've always wanted uh, have tried to be uh, to be that right to be accessible to other women and yeah. watched you and other women here at ECU do that and and help me and so I feel I feel obligated to 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 pay it forward. And be that mentor yeah. for other women. So now c- certain things that you just talked about, do you find it um find that women do that? What do you call what do I want to call it? They always give up, they preface by saying these caveats, you know, I know I'm not this, so I don't mean to bother you, and all of those things, whereas men just go full throttle for what they want,
1: right? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, for example, um, Several years ago, I had to find an interim graduate dean, interim. We were going to do this search, but I needed to do, uh, I mean, an interim. Right. So I invited, I decided, well, I opened it up. Anyone who wanted to talk to me about it could come. But then I invited two men and two women that I thought would probably, any of these four could do the job on an interim basis. With the men, when I said to them, "I'm I'm thinking that you might be interested in this and that you could do it. There was no uh, reluctance. It was uh, I think I could take that on, Marilyn. I, I would think I think I could do that. And I am not exaggerating here when I tell you that with both women, the women said, the first one said, "I just haven't had that much leadership experience. I just don't know that I, oh my, I really appreciate your asking me, but I, oh, Marilyn, you know, and the second one was very similar. She said, "Maybe at a later time. I mean, keep me on your list, but I think right now, I just what a difference." Yes, you know.
0: Yes, yeah. I think women do experience this thing called imposter phenomena. Yes, much more frequently.
1: Mm-hmm. How do we, and I, how do we help them with that, Marilyn? Boy, that's a big one. I think, <laughs> um, and you may disagree with me, but I had a number of um, students of color in my class, mm-hmm. and I think they suffer with it a lot. I would agree. So, I'm generalizing but I think several of them talked to me about it and uh, this this one individual she was oh my gosh African American female just so articulate in my class she didn't overspeak I mean she didn't interrupt people but she spoke when she spoke it was well worth listening to her mm-hmm. and so I sent her a little email I said Cassidy you are excellent you're you you process things well I just gave her all this feedback right and she then they asked to meet with me and she said no one said this to me before, and she said, "I sometimes I think I can do things, but I'm just not sure what." So she took a um, her job was at NC State. She was in a I don't remember which academic area, mm-hmm. and she called me and said, "I'm thinking of applying um, to this job at Duke, but I don't know. I mean, you know, am I ready for this?" I said, "Cassidy, you are more than ready for this." And she not only got the job. When they interviewed her, they moved her to a higher job. Oh wow! <laughs> and academic advising, and so she was one of the ones who said to me that she suffered with this imposter thing. Mm-hmm. That I mean, uh, she just didn't have the confidence. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't know the exact answer to your question: how to get rid of it. I think those of us who are leaders, if we can reach out and mm-hmm. give them avenues and give them feedback right. when they do things well yes sincere feedback not just an a on a paper and all that right. um and i have I have another young lady it's very very similar um she oh, confidence lacking big time so i I think that's the role we can play i I agree and it's just you know pushing it pushing
0: them just a little and giving and, and supporting them as we push but um uh, yeah but uh because there are a lot of women who have great um skills and leadership possibility that that are not ready or in their minds are not ready to go forward and uh, we've got to we've got to help them get there and encourage them okay. to do so amen amen virginia amen. Uh, so now um and you you talked about birth order and all of that and we've had that conversation before birth order really does i think it does play a part in how one um evolves and develops as uh, as a leader as you and you just talked about some of that uh, I remember having this conversation at a uh, a, a retreat with uh, with Steve Ballard and the executive team, and we read some book I think that was talking about this. And you and I were saying, you know, coming from I, even though we come from very different places, there's a lot of similarities in um, how our families impacted who we are. I'm the youngest of eight, yes, right, <laughs> strong-willed eight that I had to try to figure out how to find my way. Which, right. I think, which is what has led me to be a, a, a collaborative kind of leader and trying to. Yes. Voice, yeah. Right. Because I, too, like you, I had to find my voice. You had your voice. I had to find mine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I shut mine up sometimes.
0: <laughs> so, you know, you, you've done so much. Right. And, and, and as you think back now, who would you say were some some big influences for you? And and, and they and I they could be these big time people or folks in your family and community, but who influenced you?
1: Well, that's a really good question because uh, there are times when I've said, I really haven't had many mentors, um, particularly women. Uh, But then I, sometimes I think back um, when I was at Ohio university, I was working on my doctorate and that was I had gone through a divorce and then my um, middle child was killed in a car accident. And I was in the doctoral program at the time. And I decided I I can't do this. I mean, this is, I mean, I couldn't even think let alone think about getting a doctorate. So I dropped, I stopped taking the classes. The Dean of the college that I worked for was, she was African-American. She was a psychiatric nurse Mm. and she was six one. Oh, Wow. (laughs) <laughs> and, her name, and her name was Hilda. <laughs> I know where she was. She's a bit, bit older than I was then. I, I don't know. She may be gone. But she um, called me into her office and she said, what are you doing? She was very direct. And I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? And she said, I see that you have not taken the classes this last semester or year or whatever it was. And she said, Marilyn, you are a board leader. You You have to get back into that program right now. I said, Hilda, you know what has happened to me. I, I just don't know if I can. You can do it. You you have to do it. Do you understand? And she just kept talking to me as in, and then she talked to me in more gentle ways yeah. about how we have to get over loss. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you and I have both been all these places. Yes. Um, and so I, you know, I, I look back and I think, you know, I might not have gone back into that. <laughs> if Hilda had just yanked my chain. Yeah. And taken me in there. I, I would have to say, honestly, that Chancellor Ballard was a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, his mentorship might've been a little more indirect, yes. but it was powerful. Um, I think in terms of collaboration and believing in the people with whom he worked, meaning those of us on the leadership team, right. giving me opportunities to try, I don't know how many different jobs. <laughs> you crazy man? You know, <laughs> I can't go over there and do advancement. No, yes, you can, Merrill. Um, and so when I think back, I think, well, that that was a um, a kind of mentoring, really. He was saying, I have confidence in you, and I think you can do this. Mm-hmm. And then when I walked out of that one job after 13 months, I thought, you know, I can do this. A system is a system, really. That's right. You can learn what they're doing in this system. You can, yeah, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, know, you can't fake it. You have to. Right. <laughs> that's right. Knowledge <laughs> is doing, but. Um, you know, I, I think that was important. Uh, the other thing that I do sometimes is I watch, I have watched women presidents or women provosts. Mm-hmm. Um, the president at Elon right now, yeah. and I don't know if you've ever heard her speak, um, but she's phenomenal. She's just excellent, excellent. And I've listened to her speak. We invited her here to speak at one of our leadership conferences and she was very, very good. Um, out at, um, unif- let me see, University of Texas uh, the one along the border. Um it was Diana. Well, I've forgotten her name, but she stayed in there as president until she was, oh my gosh, 76, 77, uh-huh. something like that. Uh-huh. And um she was just a phenomenal. And I would go when I would go to conferences, I would always go listen to her <laughs> because I thought she's so wise and she was little. I mean, she was like four eleven or something. <laughs> And think, oh, my God. You know, she's so powerful in these little suits that she wore. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I think I and and the other thing is, and you and I both know this, we certainly have learned from people who have been disastrous. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I worked for a provost one time and I was going to leave because I thought, I mean, this man is a sociopath. I am not staying with this person. Um, and so you look at people who have these very bad traits, whether it's mm-hmm. manipulation, whether it's dishonesty, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and you think, never, never will I use those tactics. I mean, what is this? Uh-huh. So I think we learn from watching the bad examples and, and you've had a couple there at ECU. <laughs> what do you learn about, mary <laughs> over, over many years, over many, many years. <laughs> so anyway, I... I guess
0: that's what I would say. I, I agree with you about, you know, learning from those persons who were disastrous, right? I mean, because yeah. you know, people, you know when people are being authentic and genuine with you, and if, if you don't feel it and see it and observe it, then there's, it's hard to, to get on board. Uh, absolutely <laughs> right. Absolutely. It's hard <laughs> to get on board now. Yeah, I, yeah. Ugh, yes. All right. So, um, is there anything, Marilyn, that um, you would that you would do over oh, if you could have a do over? Is there anything you would you would do over?
1: Hmm. Oh, that's wow. <laughs> yeah, I I tend not. My, sis, my sister always asks me how I do this, but you know I've made mistakes in my life mm-hmm. for sure. I married the wrong man the first time. Yeah. And that was bad <laughs> <laughs> and I followed him I mean i I'm I left Temple University and moved away with him when I shouldn't have mm-hmm. um and so I think why did I do that well I was part of a generation and I'm not using this as an excuse but I really was part of a generation where women tended to do that mm-hmm. so I just didn't think for myself well enough there um and so if I look back, I think there were some decisions I made. They were more personal, maybe, but at the same time, they affected you know, my professional right. growth because um, I, I might have done more, I don't know what, at Temple University had I stayed. Um, when I moved to Ohio University, I just lucked out because I took a leadership job there, which allowed me then to pursue my doctorate at really no cost because that was a time when they would allow you to take courses free and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I lucked out then, but, um, I, men have these more direct, usually routes to their career. Correct. And women are trying to decide whether to have a baby, whether to whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm not knocking it. I understand all these roles that we want to play. Um, but it's, it's just more difficult. So when I, when I think about my whole lifespan, I think, Oh, gosh, I've been enriched by all these things. I learned from that bad marriage. I married better the second. I finally, the third time, I've married perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> First time is charm. How's that? <laughs> you know, I think it's part of me, and you're the same. Uh, we tend to be optimistic people. Uh-huh. And I don't go back and think, oh, God, this stuff was awful. I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. The more I think about, well, that caused me to grow in some way. And I've been very fortunate when I came down here that people tapped me into a leadership job again. And I had that experience for five years, which was different, but very um, just, I gained a lot from it. I, I can't say that I didn't. So I, I, I don't know. Uh, here's one that uh, was a sort of a dilemma for me. Uh-huh. I had been in the provost job at ECU for probably, I don't know, five years. And my late husband was very, very ill at that point. And Dr. Ballard said to me, Marilyn, there's a presidency open. Mm-hmm. At, I think it was Virginia Commonwealth. And he said, I, I should nominate you for it. I mean, is that okay? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, wow, wow. Uh, well, I have to think about it. So I, I didn't give him an answer that day. I came back and I said, I right now, I just can't do it. Right. I, I'm, I have a situation where I have a caregiver in my home for my husband and I I, I just would not be prepared to do it. I couldn't devote, I, I'm in a job right now that I know mm-hmm. to, to go into a higher job or to go after that higher job. I'm, I'm not even saying I would get it, but right. to go after that and to have all this additional trauma. Right. <laughs> in my life. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And when I tell that to some people, they say, wouldn't, wouldn't a male have gone ahead and done that? And, you know, found a way to take care of your husband um, or your spouse. Uh-huh. I don't know. And, and and so then the question is, do I regret not um, aspiring to that next position or breaking the glass ceiling like you and oh, I mm-hmm. uh, talk about? I don't really, I mean, I might've liked it. I don't even know that for sure. But when I watch Presidents and Chancellor's Day, I think, oh my God. <laughs> You're thankful now, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know that I wanna deal with that either. Yeah. So, that was one thing that I thought about now and then, but I, I never had the feeling that I had sacrificed for him, mm-hmm. but rather that at that point in time, I had to decide, you know, how to make that decision. Yeah. That's what I decided. Yeah.
0: You know, and what they say, well, I'm going to paraphrase here, you know, that dash between your birth and your death, you know, what is it is what happens in between there and whether you're going to go be a president or take care of your husband value. It's a value judgment and you
1: absolutely right. Yeah,
0: you pick what was a value to you. So we respect that for sure.
1: Yeah. 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 Um,
0: We've, we've gone, we've all gone through this, this, year of the, of the global pandemic, and it has prompted many of us to, to reflect and turn inward and, and think about some things. I know I've done a lot of that, um, being able to get to my family uh, as much as I would have liked. Uh, did you do some inward reflection? And if so, um, what questions are you asking yourself these days?
1: Oh, how about that? Um, I guess the the one question I ask now Although I, I love the teaching, and as I said, as long as I believe that I can think yes. <laughs> and relate to my students, I probably will do it for a couple more years. But then um, my husband and I like to travel, and we've, we've definitely traveled some. We're going to Croatia next April. Um, and so we, we plan these trips, and we try every year to take a trip. I try to take a trip with my daughter and her children yeah. and my husband, and then he has his children come here. We just finished a beach week. Mm-hmm. And so my point here is, um, and it's sort of what you alluded to there. Yes. I think the, the family parts, the relationships that you've had that are real meaningful to you. Um, you've got to find ways to spend time with that. My husband and I are going away for a long weekend without anybody <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in August. And so doing those kinds of renewing things, um, we, we, every morning we have, every morning we get up at the same time we have coffee together we eat breakfast together and we talk a lot that that communication with Mm -hmm. soulmate, i think is really important and and not just with your spouse but i mean with any with, with people oh yes um i think that's maybe what i and maybe everybody has come out of the whole era of isolation with those kinds of thoughts but um i i mean i i just um Ask about whether the Shearer family was having another reunion. I thought, well, I'll go back, even though they see me as a radical. Um, (laughs) But they're not having one this year. They couldn't get their act together fast enough. So yes, (laughs) because everybody's dying. You know, my father was the oldest of twelve. Wow. And uh, there are still a couple living Mm ants, which I uh, I saw when I was up there before. So I think of things like that. I think you know, I have more of an interest in. Where did I come from? What's my background? And you know, how did I get out of here? Does <laughs> <laughs> that make any sense? Yes,
0: I know. Um, we're my family's, We're able. To, we're going to be able to get together in September uh, to be able to to have some family time and, and a love up on each other. So we're looking great. To to That's
1: it. so good. You yes. have a great family. I love your family.
0: <laughs> so now, as as um, as a leader, you know, and as most leaders, you know, you're busy and you particularly, I, I, there are days I was looking at you thinking, you know what, I think I, I've got energy, but I don't have as much as Marilyn Sheer. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, how do you take care of yourself while you have all these... And, and, Doing it now when you're you've uh, you're, you're teaching, but also when you were in all of those those really high-powered roles, how did you take care of yourself and 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 juggle? I never talk about work-life balance because I don't. know, For me, it doesn't yeah. exist. But how do you
1: have work? And life <laughs> harmony, you know, have some yeah. harmony there. Right. <clears throat> well, there's there's a physical part to it to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was working the administrative job, and I had to be in there at 7.30 or 8 and work till 5, Mike and I would get up and we would walk, even when it was dark in the winter, we always walk like two miles. Mm -hmm. We still do that kind of walking. And I do uh, certain exercises, really strengthening exercises and so on in a bike. So I, I really do believe in exercise and getting out in the air and all that jazz. I'm, I do, I mean, I, that's, that's just part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I spend a good bit of time with my grandchildren um, and I, I make time for that, I, probably for one reason, because my daughter's divorced and so she's, she's working in this high power job now. And so I think, well, if I can be helpful there while I'm still healthy and mm-hmm. thinking, <laughs> right. do, and that's, that's a joy to me to be as close as I am to them And to watch them grow. Oh my God, the ones are turning 14 on Monday. I don't know what to do with her now. Oh my gosh. I remember I I hate 14. (laughs) 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 Uh, And and I I think um, you know, we we just enjoy going out to eat with people and that that kind of stuff. I think that's always healthy. The one thing that I've never been able to explain to anybody, and my current husband asked me this just as my late husband asked me. I really don't bring that much home with me in my head. Um, so I've always been able to sleep in terms of the job. Mm-hmm. Personal things, that's not true. Right. Um, like if my daughter is in a dilemma or the children or uh-huh. you know, my husband was really ill, that did interfere with my sleeping or whatever. But my the job somehow, I, I, I don't even know how I got this, Virginia, but I would think did the best I could today and there's a bunch of junk going on. but. And I'll be there tomorrow and I'll go in. So I never, I didn't really drag a lot of that home. Now, sometimes I had something to do at night that I had to be prepared to deliver wow. the next day, but I didn't obsess, I guess that's the point. Wow, that's okay. beautiful. I, and uh, however
0: you can compartmentalize like that, that's beautiful.
1: Yeah, I, I don't have the formula though. <laughs> <laughs> if you did,
0: trust me, you could make a lot of money from it.
1: Yeah, I could. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, no. Uh, well, we, we are we're coming to the end of our time so we have one last question for you uh do you have any kind of last aha moment that you want uh that you want to share with our audience hmm
1: uh aha <laughs> okay so this is a funny little one maybe but uh i suppose it's worth something mm-hmm. um I remember uh, when I went from a department chair and then I became the Dean of Education at ECU. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first day I had to get up in front of all the faculty. And I, I'm i quite comfortable talking to groups. Yeah. Um, and so I was a bit um, uh, unleashed, I guess you would say. <laughs> I mean, that can be funny, which you know, both of us can. Yeah. And I I don't know if I was, I mean, I talked and I talked about what was ahead and so on. But one of the faculty members in the, in the leadership department came to me afterward and he said, um, you know, Marilyn, uh, that was good, uh, but you're a dean now. Uh-oh. And I, I think you need to be a little more. Um, now he was, he was like on, on more the conservative side of everything. Okay. But he was saying a little more poised, a little more uh-huh. uh, slow down a little bit don't fly all around the stage <laughs> 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 or whatever. <laughs> and I remember thinking, okay, when you change roles, mm-hmm. sometimes there are some other things that are required. right? Um, and I think that's really true. Like, let's just say you became a president or a chancellor. You're now working with the board of trustees mm-hmm. and there are certain behaviors that will be expected of you Regardless, uh, you know you're going to have to entertain a lot more. You're going to have to do whatever. So I I think the ahadami was as you change roles, as you be. uh, When I became the provost, um, the chancellor said to me, "Seldom does a dean of education become a provost. Usually, they come from arts and sciences." Right. One of the I told a faculty member that in education, and she said, "Marilyn, you walk into that first faculty meeting, and you do not." in any way, give in to that kind of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Uh, so that it's that role thing. It's not pretending. I don't, and I'm not in any way saying you pretend to be something you're not. It's understanding your role. Yes. And what might be the expectations of that particular role. And so I, over time, I sort of tried to figure that out. hmm. Yeah and
0: I don't I, I agree with that. I don't think it's pretending it, it is, it is it's adapting and adjusting to the role and the respons- responsibilities. Yeah Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, That's great questions, Virginia. You're a good question to answer. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> it is always a pleasure,
0: my friend. So okay. That, that is our time that we have for this particular episode. And wow, did we unpack a lot of very useful <laughs> <things>. <laughs> We uh, did, Dr. Cheer. So let me try to recap just a little tidbits of, of what you've shared with us. Be present. Reflect and take time to listen and uh, engage with people, particularly before making decisions. Build relationships um, inside and outside of your organization. Uh, take chances, take opportunities, and find your voice, particularly for our women to find their voices and to take those opportunities as presented to them. Oh, what a nice summary. Thank you so much, Dr. Shearer, for taking the time to be with us today. You have been an absolute gem for openly answering all of our questions and sharing your wisdom. But you know, I didn't expect anything less from you. I know our listeners and will benefit from your input and will be able to apply your wisdom and insight to their own journeys as they develop and enhance their own leadership skills. On behalf of my guest, Dr. Marilyn Shearer, thank you for joining us on Leadership Unscripted navigating your leadership journey we hope our conversation has inspired motivated and even entertained you we will see you again soon thank you for joining dr virginia hardy today for leadership unscripted navigating your leadership journey are you looking to make the leap from your current role to a leadership position or you are a current leader looking to sharpen your edge Join Dr. Virginia Hardy for new podcast episodes each month for more leadership content meant to inspire, empower, and influence your individual path on leadership development.